how do you kind of balance the, the, the human factor with the technology factor? Just the technology is, is not going to be the answer. And just more people doing more and more quickly is not going to be the answer either. Welcome to Transforming Biopharma by ZS. I'm Maria Whitman, Principal at ZS, and this episode is part of our series on the future of healthcare. Today, we're talking with Rob Yekielek, Managing Director of the Harris Poll and a globally recognized expert on data-driven business, societal technology, and healthcare trends. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Maria. ZS joined with Harris to conduct our research on the future of connected health. And today we're talking about what we learned in the study and what it means for those looking to transform health and our organizations. So Rob, this research, we're looking at multifaceted issues about healthcare. It's a huge topic, connected health, and we did it on a global scale. How did you approach a project like this and what was interesting about it for you? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a project we're extremely proud of and, you know, really wonderful partner with you. What we really liked about this project was the fact we're able to connect a lot of dots across a lot of markets and, and multiple constituencies. So as, as you're looking at kind of healthcare and connected health, really understanding um, differences and kind of consistencies between physicians and patients, um, as well as different markets, really puts a different print on uh, the understanding of what's happening today. And especially as you start projecting towards the future and kind of like, you know, what do we expect to get better? What do we not expect to get better? What, you know, how do we bend the curve? You know, I couldn't agree more. We were really interested in seeing where we were, especially accelerating out of COVID and and then looking forward, you know, how can we improve? And, you know, thousands of citizens in each country, PCPs, oncologists, cardiologists. I had a lot of great insights coming out of it. But what top line findings struck you as most significant? First of all, I, I am going to reinforce the, the the methodology. I mean, the fact that we actually talked to over ninety five hundred um, consumers and patients, and you know, across all of those markets, makes makes a huge difference. Just as you know, as you mentioned, going um, going across the U.S., U.K., Germany, Sweden, China, Japan, and really getting very good representative perspectives. Um, also on the on the primary care side, the fact that we're getting over a thousand PCPs into the mix across those same markets makes a huge difference. And again, in the, in the U.S., we even went a little bit deeper in terms of looking at some specialty areas like on oncology and, and, and cardiology. So in, in terms of, you know, again, you, you, have, you look at all those different voices and you, you start looking at, well, what's, what's kind of popping here? Um, there's a lot, but one of the things that strikes you right away is just the the, the differences in kind of you know perceptions between uh, patients and and physicians in terms of how well the treat the the system is is treating them, um, and kind of how they feel about the system. So you know again, if, if you're looking at kind of um, patient perspectives, there's just high levels of kind of disconnection and frustration with the system. Um, and that is perceived by physicians as well, but physicians, you know, they actually see the system working even, you know, better than it is from, from, for, for patients. So there, there really is that kind of disconnect, which is a, which is a standout element in, in terms of, you know, what's going on. Um, it's also noteworthy that it's not just centered on the U S there are some specific issues around the U S that are a little bit more kind of cost and access centered. But when you look at a lot of the other systems, they have a lot of, you know, a lot of friction, a lot of kind of efficiency barriers and, and tons of frustration, right? With, with people not being able to get access to what the services they feel they need as quickly as the, you know, as, as they should be getting them. 
Yeah, it's definitely true. Uh, so as an example, in the U.S., our research found that 24% of respondents said they tend to avoid seeking medical care because it's a hassle. Another 24% actually avoid care due to cost, which is less of a factor in some European countries. But this hassle factor, very similar numbers that we see across Europe. And actually in the U.K., it's even higher. It's about 33%. You and I were talking about how everybody wants to have that one-on-one -on -one time with their doctor. In fact, doctors say that's one of the things they want to see most in the future of health is more time with their patients. But my concern is, you know, patients don't even want to engage um, to get there because it's too hard. Uh, I, I mean, I think that that's it's a it's the that's kind of like the the center of the of the issue, and it's kind of you know it's the patient frustration to the point of kind of just being feeling disconnected from 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 the system. Right. And it's I mean, when you're seeing these burdens, they are they're very substantive. And like when you look at it through that through that lens, as you're saying, of, of, of patients in the, in the public, a lot of it comes down to kind of like efficiency access and just, you know, being super frustrated with kind of like the process, the whole management of getting in. And then you see that same level of frustration through doctors manifested through um, feeling like they're not serving their patients well enough. And it's just I mean, it just really sets up this whole kind of connected health dilemma and, and solution. Right. Our ability to kind of remove that kind of friction from the system is it's a very clear and massive impediment. And I think this this study of, you know, really highlights that in a way that I, I'm not sure that that has been articulated quite as quite as clearly. Um, I, I agree with that. In fact, I, I was thinking about, you know, it, it highlights where we are, but we all believed going into this study that COVID accelerated the ability to use connected care and the ability to navigate this system in, in different ways because of all the, the different capabilities that had to come through, um, you know, to help bridge the gap during it. Now, not everything was bridged, but um, many of our respondents believe in the promise of connected care, but <laughs> in most cases, very few are engaging to the degree we would have expected post-pandemic. So what are some of the whys? I think there's a there's a lot of whys, but the, the for sure is the right question. I think this is where you, we start looking at connected almost anything, and especially connected care. It's how do you kind of balance the the, the human factor with the with the technology factor, right? Just the technology is is not going to be the the, the answer, um, and you know just you know more people doing more more quickly is not going to be the the answer either. So it's, I mean, I, th I think there's, there's that big piece around the, the whole partnership aspect of it. That's, that's a, that's a critical. Um, and again, as you look at the impediments, you know, like very clearly the impediment to physicians feel they can't spend enough time. They can't get close enough to patients, right. Where you can think of like data as being like a huge enabler and not just kind of like more data, it's smart data around kind of the, the person that they're, that they're treating um, conversely on the sides, um, on the side of, of patients and consumers, right. For sure. The technology is not where people want it to be. Right. Like that, that is, but that is, that is most certainly one of the, the impediments. Um, but you, you can also see the, the, within the study, the frustration of, of, uh, of patients and, and, and the public um, in, in terms of like how the system is kind of like serving them. So. I love I love the the balance you're bringing up of the technology and the inhuman connection. And in fact, you know, most of our respondents want to have a much more um, deep partnership in driving their care with their physician or with their primary stakeholder that they're sitting across the aisle from. 
in other industries and in other parts of our lives, this is so much more seamless. Um, and I, you know, going back to this experience word you bring up, going back to this frustration and in, in engaging with the system, it, it's it's hard to believe sometimes that probably one of the most important industries to get that experience right is doing so badly, according to our research. What have you seen from other industries that help us understand the connectivity of experience to engagement and, and why it matters so much that we start to get this right in a better way. One of the ones that that I like to point to because it's also highly regulated um, and complex is is looking at something like financial services, right? Where in absolutely it's not a mission accomplished yet, but you can you can just see there's there's so much friction that has been removed from from uh, from the process, whether it's on the consumer side, like the experience at you know ATMs or branches, the what you can now do with apps, your ability to kind of like pay. Um, what, you know, whether it's like directly through, you know, Zelle, Venmo, PayPal, all those kind of integration points. Um, and then just even more complicated things in financial services, like wealth management, you have like, you know, technology is really kind of distant intermediated places where there isn't a lot of value creation. Right. And that's kind of like, that's a really clear parallel to, 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 to healthcare where kind of like, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in the middle where it's not necessarily making the, the process faster, easier, smarter, Right, it kind of just slows things down between you know between the patient and uh, and their physician and their provider, right, and getting to the, the the best care possible. So, and it's not that all the pieces in the middle aren't important. It's just they need to get a lot tighter, a lot more efficient, and they just have to be creating value, right? Like, how do you how do you enable physicians to do their job better, smarter? Right. There's there's very few physicians who are who are in this just solely to make money. Right. They're like most people when they get into into medicine, like across the board, whether you're talking to a you know, a physician, somebody working at a pharma company in life sciences, or somebody working in kidney care, whatever it is, people usually have some sort of like a story or a passion for healthcare for helping people. And that's kind of like their motivation in versus, you know, what you're seeing is kind of like all these impediments to that happening. And you know, you're kind of like on a on a, a treadmill rat, rather than kind of like helping people and kind of moving the ball constructively forward. I absolutely agree with you. There is a red thread of passion in just about everyone I work with in this space to improve care and health in whatever category they're playing in. So what I love about this financial services example, though, is what you're pointing to is while we're trying to make the process and the experience more seamless, we're also creating many, many more options. And one thing that this research has really shown for me is that we have this like existing view of the patient journey, this very linear process of how patients flow through the system. And the research actually showed us that they're making many more choices, probably to reduce that friction and hassle, right, as to where and when to engage. So, you know, 20% of Americans are choosing the pharmacy as their first or second point of call. 29% of Americans don't even have a primary care provider uh, or someone they consider their general practitioner at this point. They're doing other things. So, so it's interesting because we want to design the best possible experience, but but the options might actually be helping people get care. I don't know. What are your thoughts? The answer is yes. And it's it, there's not going to be one solution that fixes healthcare, right? Like the, everything you just laid out is true and emerging and changing. And financial services is a good kind of like, and again, I'll even say like the crazier parts of quote unquote financial services, when you start getting into stuff like crypto, just working off the blockchain, 
right? I'm not, I'm not saying crypto is the, is the healthcare solution, but as you just start looking at kind of more at scale applications of, of, of blockchain and potential implementations for, for healthcare, like you, you can picture kind of good pathways where you have kind of like a person who has their own, right? Unique identifier. And that's, that's easily transferable and they can share that information with who they choose to share it with when, when they choose to share it with. Um, but to the point you're making, there are a lot of people that are kind of making different sites types of choices. And a lot of that is still generational. So there's a lot of people that don't have primary care physicians in the U S it's not, it's not just kind of like an insurance thing or something like that certainly is part of it. But a lot of people who are just kind of like younger are, you know, they're, even if they have the option for insurance, they're, they're picking very simple options to, to kind of save money. And they just don't really feel they need it. And many don't even take, like, don't have like a PCP as, as you're saying, they're actually going to the pharmacist to just ask for like a, a quick recommendation on uh, on kind of like what's going on and you know that and the whole the whole pharmacist angle is that it's you know that that on its own it's a, it's it's a big kind of angle like as you're looking at the U.S. regulatory system and like how it actually changed really nicely during COVID to actually enable things to go quicker, faster, smoother, and and help people just have better kind of like point of care on on a variety of different things with and where pharmacists were enabled to do that you know and then you know right now like there's even some areas where some of that might get rolled back like that's that would be like it's really unfortunate like we found this efficiency in this system and, it, and it's working and people are liking it. So, I know. Lawmakers, stop. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's a choose your own adventure, right? I mean, it, or it should be a choose your own adventure where you have the opportunity to create partnerships and really get to the people who you need for, for what you need, right? Um, I mean, I think at a certain point in, in most people's lives, they very much kind of are like, yes, I definitely want a, a committed primary care physician. I think increasingly you're going to see that at more of like even like the the practice level or the the, you know, the provider level. But again, that's assuming that you can get like much better, smarter data. So people just kind of come in very smart and being like, oh yeah, you know, this is exactly, I know exactly what's going on. You know, we need to check if this is in this, you know, this is all fine, but here's something you need to be able to look into. And it's very smooth and efficient. Um, but it's gotta be for each person. Like you, you, it's very different. Like if you're, you know, there's all sorts of different chronic ailments people are facing. There's just, you know, there's a lot of kind of black swans that are increasingly just happening in terms of people's healthcare. Um, and there's just all these revolutionary, uh, new solutions that are both kind of based on medical devices, as well as pharmaceuticals, as well as all sorts of just new innovations. So Rob healthcare that's focused on me and is easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a great point. And, you know, this was a truly global study. Uh, and what I find really interesting is then contrasting some of the experience that come out in our verbatims in countries like Sweden, uh, where it does seem to be flowing a bit more seamlessly. Doctors looking at the records and monitoring, they're calling home to do a telehealth when they think the patient needs it. They're sending out someone to help administer a drug. And, you know, you're hearing this story come through. And so some countries seem to be slightly on the edge in, in some of the facets of making this easier and truly more personalized to an individual. Uh, what do you think? I think there's a lot of markets. Like, I mean, if you look at almost any Scandinavian market that are like, uh, generally speaking, smaller, more homogenous and, and quite wealthy, they're on like a, a, you know, they're very much on, on, on an advanced path. So whether you're looking at, you know, countries like Sweden or Denmark or, or even, even Norway, right. They have their, all their own kind of issues and problems, but you, there's, I mean, there's a reason why many people kind of look in, in the space that like to benchmark and look at them. And I don't think anyone there would say, you know, we have the perfect solution or everything is just right. But you can see that there are some places where you're just getting much better feedback loops, especially on the on the preventative side, right? Like this is, you know, every doctor 
wants to be like, they don't want you to be coming in for a physical and telling you about a problem that's been kind of clearly apparent for whatever, for, for a while it's already emerged, right? They want to be kind of figuring out ways to get that in front of you as soon as possible. So you can get into kind of preventative action, right? Whether that's based off of just, you know, like basic monitoring of like, weight, heart rate, uh, level of activity or things like that, or things that are just a lot more kind of like off the chart, right? But this is where a lot, you know, diagnostics start coming in, right? So during COVID you had, you know, diagnostics being used at massive scale, like more so than ever before because of, of COVID, right? And what do you actually, what do you do with that? How do you build on that? How do you accelerate that, that even further now that there is some level of kind of comfort doing, or, or at least kind of acceptance of, of, of doing that? We're at the, we're at the beginning, not at the end. I totally agree. So one of the reasons we wanted to do cross-country studies was also to get a fix on something you touched on a minute ago, which was, you know, patient data and how that's coming together. You reference blockchain and, and the trust overall in the system to carry that data and start to deliver on even more personalized care. What did you see in the global nature of this that you know points to some differences in where we are in trust and, and data sharing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, there are the two things. So first on on just looking at trust, this is the, the foundation of the study is like a, a fantastic layer across all these markets to, to really understand what's happening. And you certainly do have some consensus and you have some areas of difference. But, you know, in, in terms of just overall kind of, you know, the, the people who are, who are most like the, organ, the the groups that are most trusted, like doctors and HCPs are just kind of like the standout, right? It's just as, as we're looking across the study and what it just so clearly articulates is, you know, doctors are just so central to the, to, to the whole solution. Right. I think that's, you know, touching a little bit on, on, on kind of like what, what you're getting at, but it's just the, you know, the doctors are, are central and it's like, how do you empower doctors? How do you make it, you know, easier, faster for, for, for them to do things? And it's, I mean, it, it's also there, no surprise. They're the most, they're the group that people are most comfortable that patients that the public is most comfortable sharing data with, right? Like they want to get, um, they want to get the data that is needed to improve their personal health. Personal health outcomes for sure, but we also do see strong support, 60 to 70% of patients in both the US and Europe for sharing health data anonymously if it can improve health benefits to public health and safety. But, you know, doctors are, are just absolutely central to, to, to the process um, and are seen as very much, you know, they're, they're most trusted and also seen as kind of like the core cog of, of, of improving the healthcare system where, you, you know, you do have you do have provider systems, you do have the government as a, a player in there. In the US, you also have like insurance companies, um, some of which have, you know, varying levels of trust. I think if you look at government, that's, you know, it's not in, in some countries, it fares very highly, like in China. Um, in, in, in other markets, it's a, it's a little bit more polarizing, like, uh, like in the US, as an example. Absolutely. Some of those differences are really uh, interesting to see. Yeah, you bring up the doctors as the center of the trust and the center of this. And, and it's really true. I think that uh, what I look forward to as I think ahead in health is helping doctors play at the top of their license. Um, right now, what we saw in the survey is that um, you know, they're starting to get access to so much more of the data that would enable more personalized care, whether it's the consumer driven data from my Fitbits and things that I'm uploading into my system to, um, you know, other types of clinical decision support and evidence. And, and one of the things that seems to come out loud and clear is we're a little overwhelmed. Uh, there's not enough standard yet on how do we how do we use and leverage this. But I, I think there's also excitement that 
if we can figure that part out, then we can do a lot more. I think we're kind of moving past the time of worried about replacement um, through AI and more about, you know, how can we truly direct personalized care because we're getting more insight and more information. We just have to help them get there. Yeah, it's, it's a journey, right? I mean, there's there's every time we add a new piece to, to, to the process, right? And there's, you know, Maria, and you're looking at kind of some of the increased burdens that are being uh, created around things like telemedicine and just being able to track it and all that kind of stuff, right? Whenever there's a new innovation, right? It's how do you figure out how to make it seamless? When you look at a lot of these systems that are built, they're more built around kind of insurance companies collecting information in order to like match how they process versus around how kind of like physicians do what they do and expediting that in a way that um, improves outcomes and just kind of moves the ball forward from a, from a patient centric perspective. Right. And that's, yeah. And I mean, you can see in the study, one of the clear kind of areas where you can see kind of a lot of the, the regulatory kind of burden still being quite sticky is as you look at things like telemedicine in, uh, in Japan, where there are, where there are higher regulatory burdens and, but it's, and it's an extraordinarily advanced uh, society from like a technological perspective. Right. So it just, you know, there's, there's all these different facets and, you know, people can see this future for, for connected care, but it just requires a, a, a lot of effort. Um, and you have to be able to just, how do you clear it out? Like one piece at a time and you know, enable physicians to, to, to really be able to, to move the ball forward. Absolutely. And Rob, let's, let's go to the future now. Um, you know, we asked people, all the citizens, the 9,500 citizens and their doctors, what are the hopes and desires they have regarding healthcare in the future? A um, lot of answers, a lot of dispersed answers, you know, um, but how do we interpret them? What did, what did you take away? The simplest way to, to kind of bottle it down is like, how do you just make it easier, right? If you're, if you're looking at kind of like the public and consumer perspective is just how do you make it easier and more efficient? Again, in, in the US, there certainly are kind of cost and access aspects, but, you know, the virtual consensus is around how do you, how do you make it faster, better? How do you improve the speed of like diagnosis? Um, how do you just make it a lot more easier and more manageable for, for me to be able to, to get into my doctor, right? Like, do I even need to be going in to see my doctor, right? Like, is it like that's, this is, as we were just talking about a little bit around the, the COVID and some of the regulatory things that were, that were loosened up, there's a bunch of stuff where you probably don't need to go into to see your doctor just to get like a, a new prescription, right? Or just to, um, you know, th- there's a lot of different things to, to kind of talk down that path. But it's just how do you make it simpler for uh, for for a lot of the easier things? And then if you are going in to talk to a physician, whether it's virtual or or in in person, like how is it just kind of like a big value creation happening there, right? Which is what what you hear from physicians, right? They just want to be able to like better serve their patients. So absolutely, I heard some of the same things: uh, speed, um, trust. Uh, ease. I also think I heard a little bit about transparency, uh, more transparency, more opportunity to partner, and a lot more focus on the front end of that journey. You mentioned diagnosis. Um, also, 72% of our population said, I want more preventative care. I really want to be thinking more in that health and wellness mindset, which fits with what we're seeing in you know, across governments across the world. I think we'll be at 9% of healthcare spending by 2030 on preventative care, but it's just not distributed yet, and people want it. And I think that, that that requires us as stakeholders in the industry to do a little bit more thinking on the how, because if we are more dispersed 
in how patients are consuming care. Um, if their journey is is becoming much more heterogeneous on the front end, you know, pharmacists, Google, um, telemedicine, sometimes urgent care, and others, um, you know, it does put a lot more onus on us to figure out how do we help them be at the right place at the right time to enable things like earlier diagnosis or to make sure the quality is is there in all these different places to make sure that they don't lose time in that journey. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely, right. And that's kind of like it's you know as as you can go back to the study and you look at you know in, in the fact that in in the U.S. you still have a you know a significant percentage of folks who are going into urgent care right as their kind of like primary spot for 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 getting healthcare, right? That that's that's a you know it's it's not ideal because it's like you're you're not going into urgent care to do preventative care, right? So, and even if you're getting an urgent care facility, all the right data on a person, I mean, that's going to be very helpful in terms of triage, but not great, not, not, not the ideal circumstance for getting to a better outcome for the person. Most certainly not uh, an ideal state for improving, you know, the, so, the cost, the, the cost structure of the system or the efficiency of the, of, of the system either. Um, but that whole kind of heterogeneous aspect is just, just so critical, right? It's kind of like, it's a little bit of a choose your own adventure, but ideally figuring out ways people to steer people and in, in, in ways that are hopefully going to improve their kind of uh, health outcomes, and then also have a positive impact on the, on the overall system. So Rob, here's the question I ask all my guests. If you yeah. could change one thing about healthcare, what would it be? I mean, this is, we've just been talking about it. So it's just like, it's just the friction, right? How do you just, you know, if you just start and look for all the different friction points and just start taking, like hacking at them one at a time, like the, the friction in the healthcare system is just, it's, it's incredible. Some people would say egregious, right? Like it's, that's the, that's the problem. Like there's, you know, the, the players in the mix, you know, people that are in healthcare, the vast, vast majority of them, as we've talked about before, they came in because they had, it was felt like a mission, right? They had some sort of personal connection to it um, because it's like themselves, it's their family. It's just, you know, they, they just had this moment of inspiration when they were five or whatever it is, but it's just, you know, they want to be, they really want to be improving like people's lives. So what are all the frictions we can remove from that? Right. In terms of enabling people to, to, to be able to do that, whether it's a little bit on kind of like your own preventative, but really kind of this study would showcase like that partnership. Right. How do we make that partnership really powerful and enabling people to, to do a little bit of their, their own kind of journey, but like enable that partnership to, to kind of work very well when and how people uh, people need it. Having been very deep in this data, is there a, a place you would point to to start? Is there a particular point of friction that we should focus on? On the patient side, it's just how do you like remove and reduce a lot of that kind of like tactical stuff around kind of scheduling and getting into the office and all that kind of stuff, right? Just that part of it is a huge burden that keeps a lot of a lot of people out of the out of the preventative system, right? They just can't they can't find the right PCP, then they can't get access to them, and they can't get the time off work or whatever it is, right? I mean, there's like being able to reduce that burden is a massive uptake, and the flip side is. You know, when we heard, we heard about physicians saying they want to spend more time with their patients, right? They really just want to get to a better outcome for that patient, right? So how do we, you know, how do you get physicians better, smarter data? It's not more data, right? Nobody needs more data, right? People need like a better, more incisive perspective on, on what's happening and that being delivered in, you know, as, you know, with preventative timing, not with kind of like, oh, haven't seen you in a while. This is really bad. Right. So 
Absolutely. And in the future of healthcare, this is everyone's problem. So we all have to step up to try to solve these together. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining me today. And thanks for listening to Transforming Biopharma by ZS. We invite you to subscribe and leave an iTunes review. You can see more of the latest data on the future of health at zs.com slash future of health. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Please visit zs.com slash future of health if you're interested in learning more about transforming biopharma and ZS's industry perspectives.